did my heart love till now? Forswear it, sight, for I ne'er saw true beauty till this night. I like your kicks, man. Those are nice. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlo, and I use she, her pronouns. And today on Avant Bard, we are discussing the film Private Romeo released in 2011 and directed by Alan Brown. Private Romeo made its way around the film festival circuit, winning Outfest's Grand Jury Prize for Outstanding Actor in a Feature Film, which went to all eight of the actors in the film. So the one winner was eight people. Yeah. No. That's like like I that's like winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and just put the cast, the cast of Lord of, of the Rings. Yeah. The film is, as you might be able to tell from the title, an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. <gasps> what? Yep. Shakespeare's star cross lovers are in this adaptation, played by students at an all-male military academy. Which does make this a queer Shakespeare adaptation! Get this gay party started! I was gay, and I was born this way! The film is a direct adaptation of the text, except for a few lines here and there of contextual modern dialogue to set up the film. Things like, I like your shoes, and you are stuck here for four days without any authority figures. And hey, hey, director Alan Brown through this film wanted to address the U.S. military policy of don't ask, don't tell, which forbade openly queer individuals from entering the U.S. military forces in an attempt to keep the morale, good order and discipline of the military, which is frankly disgusting and bullshit. It lasted from 1994 to shortly after this film's release in 2011, because this film Fixed homophobia. Nope, Megan. Nope, that's not it. Nope. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it anyway. Uh, <laughs> I think that this is a good time to get into Marquez's acting corner. 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 Since it has been a subject of debate in the past. Between only you and I. I am cementing that in 2021, it is officially... Marquez's acting corner, not actor corner, acting corner. Congratulations, acting corner. You now have you an official title. There are two actors I want to talk about this week. Matt Doyle as Glenn Mangan, who is Juliet, really. They say his name like once. Glenn is the only character who I was certain of their name. Yes. Well, Matt Doyle is an accomplished Broadway actor who was cast as Jamie, formerly Amy, in a gender-reversed version of Company right before the pandemic hit and ruined theater forever. I'm just kidding. It's scheduled to go up this year. Fingers crossed. 
More importantly to Megan, he was in eight episodes of the TV show Gossip Girl as Jonathan Whitney, Eric Vanderwoodson's boyfriend, until that plotline and that character got kicked into the stratosphere in season four. You covered everything I'd want to say about that character. Megan, how important was he to the Not. plot? Good. Glad to see Gossip Girl really being a true ally. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Hale Appleman, who plays Josh Neff, really a combined Mercutio and Capulet. That character has a name? Yes. I swear it's never said. It is said. When? Because he says, Neff, you've done a bad job. Has anyone ever said Josh, though? I don't think anyone says Josh. Exactly. Sorry, continue. Hale Appleman was in five seasons of The Magicians on Sci-Fi, a show my brother has told me to watch several times, and I never have. This acting corner, going real great, Marquez. I felt like I couldn't not do an acting corner, but at the same time... It's very indie. Yes. That brings us to the film itself, Private Romeo. First off, when we watch this film... I am very happy to see that it is only one hour and 37 minutes long. A win for Marquez, who doesn't want to watch anything more than two hours. We're shown exterior shots of McKinley Military Academy, which I assumed from the writing on the gym floor. We see a class reading Romeo and Juliet aloud, Act 1, Scene 3. They laugh at the word teat, as all students would. And they do... Some pretty good acting doing stilted reading like people who haven't read Shakespeare do. Like they're not actors that are reading Shakespeare. They're just kids in class that are like, force wary at sight. Something, something. Teat. My only problem with that is in the general education of high schoolers with Shakespeare, do teachers not teach students that there's a poetry to the language? Here's my question. Maybe one of our listeners has been to a military academy, because I sure haven't. And I haven't. Do they teach Shakespeare? Like, are they required to for, I like, Common I, Core? There is state curriculum. Yeah. So I think that they would have to. So they're probably just like, read the words, move on. Yeah. I would also like to note that McKinley was the original name for this movie. Private Romeo was much better. It's so much better, because it has a double meaning. The rank and private Romeo is that he's hiding his sexuality, except he doesn't in this film. But still. He's still a private man. And gay members of the military had to be private with their sexuality. The first true scene from the text we get is Act 1, Scene 2, the second half. And we find, I'm just going to say Romeo and Benvolio in the bathroom because we don't know the characters' names yet. No, nor do they ever really establish them in any palpable way. First, this is the scene where Romeo's talking to Benvolio about Rosalind. Who? She's so great and she's beautiful and I love her. She doesn't love me. What is this love? It's just, it's like hot and cold and everything and nothing and it's what it it's not what it is and it is everything and she is a swan and I am but a duckling. It's this whole thing. So in Private Romeo, our Romeo is still using 
she, her, woman, etc. to talk about his love. Maybe he's bi. Maybe Rosalind exists and she's just somewhere else. I would just like to know who she is. My first question is, is this a woman? And therefore, maybe we're getting the, I had a girlfriend. And then when I spent time with more guys, I realized I was into guys thing. Like, is that what the story is here? I think so. Because talking about who you like as a gay man to people who you're not out to, usually people will use that gendered language towards you, assuming your sexuality. So I can see that aspect of, we'll find you someone better than she. But we also don't get any context for Rosalind in the movie, so I don't get why these lines are here. Honestly, the more I think about this right now, the more I want there to be a solid thing of like, Rosalind was a girl that this character was with or that he really loved until he realized his feelings for Juliet, a.k.a. Glenn, as we find out. I mean, we could also have just like, he has his phone, it has a picture of a girl, and he gets a text from her, and like, they've just broken up or something. Or like, she is just like, hey, I'm not into you. Yeah, or something. <laughs> we don't need a lot. No, just anything. It, it's like the little things that Midsummer did, where we had that background picture of Helena and Demetrius. I agree. I think non-verbal context would really help this film a lot. It doesn't have a lot of non-verbal context. There's not a lot of props. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Limitations of money and stuff, but still. We find out that all of the students who are here right now are just like eight kids who didn't qualify for a land navigation exercise. So they're left with Cadet Moreno. Don't know who that is. I'm assuming it's the prince. Turns out it's not. But that's what I would have thought considering he's in charge. And there's no officers on campus for four days. What shenanigans. So I do like the idea of the military academy is a larger metaphor for heteronormative society, staying nice and orderly and in line. But Romeo and Juliet isn't about that. It's about family. It's families and sticking to your side in a conflict. Literally, the conflict in Romeo and Juliet between the families is unlawful. Society doesn't want the families to fight. The prince is like, stop this shit in the streets. So I don't think that that metaphor really connects. Because in all honesty, in Romeo and Juliet, the reason they are star-crossed is not societal. It is familial. Society doesn't give a shit whether or not they're together. No, society would be like, ah, two kids, kiss, I don't care. It is about regimented families. So I think like doing something like this with a family. Or if it was like someone in the Air Force and someone in the Marines, because they all shit on each other constantly. That would be a really in-joke for military people. (laughs) But I think it could be cute, like as a little short one-off thing. The metaphor still works. I get it. But the fact that the text is so entwined with this metaphor muddies it. Continuing on with the text, the class is reading Act 1, Scene 4. The character reading for Mercutio 
is doing the Queen Mab speech, and then the bell rings. Oh no, we don't get the whole Queen Mab? Ah oh, man, the promised land, an adaptation that doesn't do the Queen Mab speech. That's what I wanna see, Megan. The speech is unnecessary. But then and- I'm confused. Because the bell rings, and they're all like, ah, gotta stop Queen Mab. And then they continue. Yeah. they cut ahead to 1.5, where Romeo's like, wait, who's that girl? She's so hot. Who is that? What's her name? Do you know her? So was the teacher just like, eh, skip all this? Well, no, Megan, that just obviously is the cut between classroom and reality in which the play starts bleeding into these boys' lives. Wait, is it? Yes. (sighs) No. No. Megan, I didn't say it was clean. Oh, it's so confusing. They're still holding the text. Yes, I understand, Megan. I was just like, why are they still going? The bell rang. And they skipped a scene. They skipped like half a scene. So they are to the point where they're talking about how beautiful Juliet is. And all the kids are pointing to Glenn And they're like, oh, she's so pretty. She's Juliet. So is the joke that they're keeping the she, her pronouns towards Glenn because Glenn's gay and they're using it as a teasing? Yes. So here's my question. Is Glenn out or are they just assuming Glenn's gay? Megan, is there a outing scene in Romeo and Juliet? The answer is no, Megan. No. You don't have to think about it. The, the answer no, is no. but I'm just like no, Megan. Because just with yeah. the concept of the "don't ask, don't tell" whole thing, if people are kind of teasing Glenn for being gay because they know it, but they're not doing anything worse, then what are the stakes? Good question. I don't know, Megan, because no one comes out. No one reveals their sexuality to other people. It just kind of happens. Because that's not the point in the play, and they didn't add any lines. Yes. There isn't a context for these boys coming out, or whether or not they are already out. And I think that that confuses it even more. It just confuses the metaphor. Here's my thing. Since we've brought it up, I'm just gonna say, already... In like 15 minutes into the film, I can already tell this adaptation is suffering from the fear of changing anything about Romeo and Juliet. Well, Megan, have I got something for you. Give it to me. So in researching this film, I came across an interview with the director on Film International's website. We'll put it in the description. And the interviewer asked the director about the gendered pronouns. And this is what the director had to say. I knew that if I changed them, I would be messing with the music and beauty of Shakespeare's language. It's one thing to cut lines, but I wasn't about to start rewriting Shakespeare. Here's my thing, though. Is cutting lines and changing this heteronormative 
couple into a gay couple not rewriting Shakespeare? It is a thousand percent rewriting Shakespeare. So what's the holdup? Because people have such a fucking boner for the language. And this brings us back to Bernhard Hamlet in our first episode, where Edmund Ronstadt doesn't want to rewrite Hamlet because, oh, that's blasphemy. But in that situation, it was the same thing, where, okay, but if Hamlet's a girl, you're rewriting it. Yeah. No matter what, every recreation that you change anything, and since we don't know what happened back then, you're likely doing something different, is rewriting it. It is a retelling. It is an adaptation. And this, a lot more than a lot of productions, is very obviously an adaptation that retells in a different way, with a different meaning, and different stakes, and different resolution, and different source of conflict. Yeah. Just rewrite it. why not change she to he? I don't get it. Megan, I am with you a hundred percent. Listen, I don't like Oxfordians, but I also don't like Bardolaters who put this man on a pedestal. He's just a dude. He wrote some words. He did write them. But he's still just a dude. And they're still just words. They're not sacred. Changing the words isn't going to unlock an ancient curse that (laughs) kills you slowly like a mummy's tomb. It's a guy who wrote words that are published by someone who wasn't him. So the words might have changed. And it's public domain. You have the legal right to change it. Just fucking do it. Uh. So we go outside and we play some basketball. Oh, thank God. Hoops. Thank God for the hoops. Glenn is playing basketball by himself. Oh, out come Romeo, Benvolio, and Mercutio, because I don't know their real characters' names. You don't need to. And they are going to play basketball, so Glenn's got to get off the court. But first, Glenn's going to say, hey, to Romeo. Whoa. 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 That's huge. Whoa. Then we get a shot of drugs being done by someone, and I don't know who it is. Megan, these are all boring, handsome, adjacent boys with medium builds. They all look the same, and the lighting, which does change depending on whether or not we're in a more intimate setting and a more military setting. But Which the, I love that. Yes, but the lighting does not do these boys a service. It doesn't do me a service, who is very bad at telling people apart. Plus their names not being stated outright, and them sometimes being multiple characters in the text, just confuses everything. You have to have a chart to know who is who. And if you have no context for Romeo and Juliet and you go and- I can't imagine watching this without knowing Romeo and Juliet pretty damn well. You just wouldn't be able to figure out who is who. And why certain people are suddenly acting very differently because they're cross-cast as a different character, which we'll get to later. Yeah, it's wild to think all of this. And yet, when they are in their military uniforms, They have their last name stitched to their uniform. Even with that, I couldn't even begin to tell you anyone's name except for Glenn. Basketball doesn't matter anymore. Now we're in Romeo's room and all Romeo can hear is, Hey, 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 hey. Gay languishing. Welcome to Marquez's Corner. Listen, 
I get it. Everyone suffers from that crush anxiety where you see someone or talk to someone you have a crush with and it rattles around in your brain. When you're gay, uh, that hits on an entirely different level. You don't know if they're into you and if they're even gay, because that's two levels. And when you're young and gay, you don't know. You're not going to ask. Because you only meet these sorts of people in places like your school, in which that regimented place has heteronormative concepts of dating, so everyone just assumes that everyone is straight. So I completely understand Romeo's position here. Especially late at night, you're alone with your thoughts. Those are never fun. Megan, have you ever been alone with your thoughts at night? No, because I always have my roommate Gus, a.k.a. Benvolio, by my side. Oh, we do have a character name. And Romeo's name is Sam. And we find out that Sam so badly wants to get into West Point. It's so important for his character, so important that it will never come up again. I do like it because I think it adds to this film's whole thing about don't ask, don't tell. In all honesty, if he is open about his sexuality, he won't get into West Point. I would love if that was ever brought up. Megan, me too. I understand that the filmmaker didn't want to showcase a coming out conflict because I think that those are overplayed in gay media. But also, if you're going to do a movie about gay boys fighting against society, that's kind of part and parcel of the whole deal. Especially if it's the first time they've seemingly ever been in love with another boy. Yes. That's kind of coming out. Honestly, it's weird to state this, but I wish that this movie was a little bit more on the nose. (laughs) This is a really weird statement. I wish that this movie interjected more things that aren't Shakespeare around the Shakespearean text. That's so weird for me to ever request, but I would love if it was like, forswear at sight, but oh shit, I can't think that she's beautiful or he's beautiful because I gotta get into West Point. You brought up West Point once! Yeah. Why can't you add it in again later? You've changed the text by adding in this context about West Point. He changes the text like four times. Why not more? Yeah. If you open the door just a little bit. Take a mile. Yeah, just go. Run with it. Moving on. We go back to the classroom. We find out that Omar is the nurse character in class. So obviously also in real life going to be the nurse. And Omar is doing the whole like, ooh, you're going to fall on your back. Ooh, come kid. Pointing out all of the sexual references and doing it really over the top. And all the kids are like, stop, stop, stop it. And Megan will say, as someone who in school was really annoyed when people didn't get the sexual jokingness of Romeo and Juliet, would just be like, yes, and I will thrust their maiden heads. And I'm just like, you're saying you're gonna fuck them. Make it funny. I'd get annoyed. I wouldn't say anything because I wasn't that bad, but like, it's boring. And at least you can make it funny so that people laugh and enjoy class and maybe remember it more. But people are just like, Omar, you're such a childish kid. And I'm like, but that's more accurate. Upon reflection and you explaining it out loud, I think a really good different take on that moment is the fact that the nurse character and Omar 
is pushing the boundaries of the military classroom and teaching that text in and of itself is as well because Shakespeare's body and yet it is classical so I think that having that character be like I know these jokes are sexual and having the other people being like not in the classroom Omar or like shut up we're supposed to be innocents Omar yeah but like keeping it in the daylight you know strict and orderly while the nurse remains body like in the text yeah no i get that this might be a little bit too deep into the text but megan do you know if the nurse is verse or prose because i know a lot of romeo and juliet is in verse but is the nurse is the nurse verse megan the nurse usually speaks in prose Okay, then I really like that because prose breaks the regimented iambic pentameter of the play, which is mostly in verse. I kind of really enjoy that Omar being the nurse is kind of disrupting things a little bit, just like prose disrupts verse. I'm way up my own ass about it because <laughs> I don't think the director or anyone else was thinking that much into it. Maybe they were. Maybe I'm just being mean, but I think I'm a little bit up my ass about that interpretation. I have a hot take that might sound a little mean, and I don't want to be mean. Just a warning that it might sound mean. You don't want to be cinema cynical? Exactly. I feel like up until this point, it's all been intro scenes for every character. And we're given... Snippets that tell us which character from Romeo and Juliet they're supposed to be. We're barely given their real names. That's about it. So I feel like as people who have obviously interacted with Romeo and Juliet before, we're supposed to take the character that they're associated with from the play and do a lot of heavy lifting to decide what their character wants, needs, feels, etc., without the movie telling us anything. I don't think that's a hot take at all, Megan. Nor do I think it's really mean. I do think that the movie does require you to do the heavy lifting, as you put it. And that kind of sucks. We can't know for sure since we do know Romeo and Juliet, but it definitely feels like a film where if you don't know Romeo and Juliet, you can't enjoy it. Or you can't interact with it properly. We jump into Act 1, Scene 4, in reality. This isn't the classroom anymore. The boys, Sam, Gus, Mercutio. Josh. I already forgot it. Yep. So they're sneaking out. They're going to go to a party. So they're sneaking down the staircase. They're quoting Romeo and Juliet. Hold up. They're reading Romeo and Juliet in class and saying the lines that they have read in class in reality and not once are they like, wait, but we are just reenacting Romeo and Juliet. I'm so confused by this. It's a metaphor. Again, Megan. No, this is like when we did Romeo and Juliet (laughs) and our director said, Megan, you should be reading Romeo and Juliet during the balcony scene. And you, Marquez, said, no. You and one of our other friends were like, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. That makes no sense. And that's how I feel in this moment. Megan, remember how we said that about she's the man? Yes. And this is way worse. Yeah. So the people reading it. He read the Queen Mab speech in class and whoa, whoa, what? 
he's just reciting Queen Mab in reality. And no one's like, bro, this long ass speech you don't need to do. We read it in class. This is my hell, though. I just want to state this speech. I hate it. I said it before. I will reemphasize. The Queen Mab speech is bad. And if you like it, you should feel bad. (laughs) I am directly attacking the audience and Shakespeare scholarship en masse. Stop it with the Queen Mab bullshit. I will say, though, this Benvolio super cares about this Mercutio. They're gay. They're not gay, like, Megan. People will say that for any adaptation, but like honestly, this adaptation, I think everyone is actually gay and they're all enacting Private Romeo in their own heads. Mm. They are all Sam to themselves. Mercutio's an overrated character. I'm still on this bit, Megan. So like all of the boys, though. Are gay? They're so gay. They care about each other. They want to work out and play basketball. Okay, that kind of just sounds like guys. Yeah, you're just (laughs) describing men. The way that they touch each other is they're all very intimate, which since they're doing the whole military equals homophobia, you would think that they wouldn't act so intimate to showcase that and make us fear that if someone was gay, they'd be shunned. But instead, we have Benvolio, like, caressing Mercutio's arms to try to calm him down. And I go, I think they'd be fine with a gay guy. Do you want to know what they keep in the text for this scene? Everything. Do you want to know what is involved in that? What? Benvolio and Mercutio promising Romeo that at this party, he will find a new person to love besides rosalind there's so many chicks at this military there are eight men so is romeo out or not there are no outsiders at this party you're gonna fall in love with someone she's gonna be a dude super hot you already know her (laughs) you already know her (laughs) megan let's go back to the interview because this also was asked in the interview them already knowing each other yeah that's one of my biggest notes i'm just like in this upcoming party scene sam's does the whole wow forswear at sight i've never seen true beauty till this night i'm like you've seen glenn before like every day i hate to tell you this megan yeah read this interview yeah he's asked the question yeah he doesn't really answer it no he just says of course they would know each other even if they weren't (laughs) friends They're in classes together, but this meeting, the one on the basketball court, takes place in a different and very unique context. The military academy campus is deserted, except for them and six other cadets. All the other cadets and officers are gone on military exercises, so they're seeing each other, in a sense, for the first time. And the party scene is when Romeo and Juliet are supposed to see each other for the first time. I know we're moving on to the scene. When they see each other... They keep the lines about Romeo seeing Juliet for the first time when it's clearly just not the case. Intellectual queer people. That's what this film is for. It's an artsy film. But that makes it, again, inaccessible. You know what I wish happened? Yes. My pitch. Yeah. It is more of a party. In the movie, they're just playing poker and drinking. That's it. There's no party. They keep talking about dancing. Literally no one's dancing. There's not even music. What if there was dancing? People are letting loose for once, 
And Sam, who has only ever seen Glenn in an academic or military drill aspect, sees Glenn letting loose, dancing, smiling, laughing, and then says, I've never seen that Glenn. I love him. Yeah. That would fix all of this. But no, they have to be playing poker and standing quietly. What your point would give us more of is gay yearning. Yeah. Oh my God, so happy. I want to be happy. I want to be like that. I want to be happy with him. Yes, but can I? Missed out movie. Should have hired Megan, the teenager at this point. (laughs) Yeah, you'd be a teenager. (laughs) What, nine years ago, Megan? Yeah. So Sam walks up to Glenn and they're like, oh, whispered, like doing the whole sonnet at the party thing, talking. You can tell they're trying to be quiet because they don't want the others to notice, even though they're really close to each other right in front of everyone. And also, they're not really hiding anything. No. No one seems to be having a problem with anything. So what is holding them apart besides the idea that maybe someone won't like it? Like, I guess that's enough. In real life, that's typically enough is fear of judgment and shame etc well why don't you have them go off into another room right they just do the whole thing it's out in the open here's the thing in the play there are a lot of people in that room so they meld into the crowd in this there are maximum eight people there are less than eight people in this scene Two of them are standing next to the other four and just practically making out with each other. Even though in Romeo and Juliet, everyone pretty much knows who Romeo is, despite the fact that they're wearing masks, Tybalt brings it up to Capulet like, That's Romeo. And Capulet's like, it's a party, calm down. My thing is, with the original text, it's a masquerade. There is a social mystery going on like you're supposed to just pretend like you don't know who this is there's a social context it's also asking for debauchery because it's the anonymity yes and so that allows romeo and juliet to talk to each other and kiss under the guise of we're masked you don't have this in private romeo you can't have this in the context that you set everything up in so it just doesn't really work I I think you can have them start talking to each other about, like, their kicks and stuff, and then just have them... Oh, yeah, this is the nice kick scene. Yes. And you just have them lead them off to a secluded corner. And yeah, sure, it's suspicious, and you can have the Tybalt guy be like, where are they, and then come across them and get mad, and then go back to his friends and be like, we need to stop this. But that's not what happens. No, they seem like they don't care at all when we're supposed to believe that they care about this more than anything. Speaking of people caring about things that make no sense, this is where we start getting the double casting. Our Mercutio is also Lord Capulet. Romeo's best friend is Juliet's father. It makes no sense at all. And I finally find out that the guy that they're left with Moreno, who's in charge of them, is Tybalt? Yeah. Why would he not be Lord Capulet? I started losing my mind because he starts referring to the Mercutio character as Sir and Lord and above him and taking orders from him. He's the one that's in charge of these eight. It makes no sense. And it's such a character whiplash for Mercutio to be like, aha, Queen Mab, fuck that Romeo guy. Intellectual 
artsy queer film. Like, are we supposed to think it's some sort of homophobia that he's hiding? Or is it just bump, 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 lazy? You did it. I did your thing. Oh, I'm so proud. Megan, I think it's just lazy. What I think is that they're trying to fit so many things. And they want a small cast for this indie production. Yes. This reeks of a high school or college Shakespeare production that has an idea of an interpretation of the text, but doesn't really want to do the work on making sure that the whole play really fits with it. I know that that's not the case. I know that they worked very hard on this film. When you make decisions that leave me confused in this way, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, and that's sad because there's so much potential in this. And that's why I get fired up about certain things, because I think that this could be really great. But I feel like the director was too scared to commit to it in a way to make it poignant. Speaking of poignant things, Romeo profanes this holy shrine by doing the like, you got something on your shirt, nose flick thing. And you know what? He's a nervous gay boy. It's cute. It works. I like it. But then he like slaps Glenn's (laughs) neck and then tries to kiss his neck. And I'm like, whoa, negative 50 to 170. Like wild change there. My only take here really is I kind of think Romeo and Juliet are good and that these scenes are good. Glenn's actor, who's one of the only people you talked about. Matt Doyle. Matt Doyle. This is the first time we've really gotten to hear him speak. Sorry, I think you forgot. Hey. Hey. He's incredible. Oh, amazing. When he does the whole Holy Palmer's bit, I'm like, yeah. Oh, Glenn. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Get him, boy. (laughs) Like, you truly believe that... He's gay in a military academy. Well, it's more like it is the performance, I think, that truly makes the concept sing. Yeah. And the fusion works. If anything, this is where the concept works the best is in Juliet. But then again, if we then say the scenes that have Romeo and Juliet together are really what make this production of Romeo and Juliet work, that's kind of the bare minimum. Oh, yeah. No, I can't forgive the context of the other thing and all the other moments that don't really work. So here's my thing. Magical Legend of the Leprechauns had the same thing for us, where a lot of the scenes... We were like, this concept makes no sense. What does it have to do with Romeo and Juliet? This is weird. But like in a different way, because that just went completely off script. And this is trying really hard to stay on script without the right connections. But then when Romeo and Juliet are together, we're like, oh, love, romance. Great. This is so good. And it's really hard to reconcile those two different sides of the production. I can't wait for a Romeo and Juliet that I actually fully like. Have I ever seen one? No. I think it's hard. I think we have to give both films credit in that I think it's really hard to do a Romeo and Juliet in which everything is working to the fullest extent. So, as usual, from the play, Romeo runs away. Oh, gotta leave. Everybody gonna know I'm gay. I mean, that's not from the play, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Weird addition to the play. And Mercutio and Benvolio call after him, try to find him. Mercutio in this? 
pretty terrifying. Honestly, if anyone called for me the way this Mercutio is calling for Romeo, I'd run farther. I also just like it because it is changing the context of them chasing after him just because they're kind of drunk after a party and they want their friend with them to Romeo hiding because he's kind of afraid of what his friends will think about what he just did. And they're like, hey, we want to talk to you about what's going on. And in this, Romeo stumbles upon Juliet instead of seeking her out. Yes. Which is once again, kind of that fate bringing them together rather than them trying to force it, which is nice. It would just be nice if they showed Glenn at all when Romeo is monologuing about how beautiful Glenn is. It's so strange. I've complained about this before in film adaptations, but when they have monologues in close-up, I think it does a disservice to the monologue. You can switch around where your camera is during a monologue. They're talking about something. Yes. Show me the object of their affection. Guide my eye, because on a stage, you are guided by the actor's movements and where they're projecting their voice. You just need an actor gesturing to something in order to understand. That's what they're talking about. But in film, you need to show it through your shot. And if you don't, it doesn't work. Close-ups throughout entire monologues, as we mentioned in Macbeth, are very limiting and boring. You don't get to see what his body is doing. Like, show him hesitant with his hands or something like that. Anything. Or his steps. Just starts walking towards the door. Oh, God, no. Glenn's in there. I can't go in there. Yeah, but you don't show us that. You just show him. And then we show Glenn. And that's it. I think it's kind of weak. That's another thing. There are very few images as iconic as the balcony scene. One person is up here, one person is down here, and they are talking to each other. And they struggle to get onto the same level to actually interact. If you don't have that showcased in some way, you are making an active choice to not meet audience expectations. Do you want to know my pitch for this? Yeah. Have the door locked. Yes, have them look at each other through the door. Door's locked. Maybe Sam has to go back outside the building, go to the window and climb in. Or they just find a way to jimmy the door open. There's got to be something separating them. This movie's making it too easy for them when it's supposed to be making it even harder. Yes. Because it's supposed to be all of society against them instead of just their families. It's supposed to be that what's separating them is societal pressure, but it's not portrayed effectively in order to get that point across. Like, I get what you're trying to do, but you're not effectively showcasing so we begin the balcony scene in earnest with them speaking to each other and i have private romeo vocabulary lesson yes lesson one and a montague is actually and a male because he's not a montague really famous line and it's really weird to not change it when it's like hi my name is sam singleton aren't you a montague no i'm sam singleton what does that mean so that's why montague equals male so like what you can't like me you're a male next kinsmen if my kinsmen were to find you They are homophobic army dudes. Two noble homophobic army dudes by William Shakespeare. (laughs) 
But actually, I really just wish that they changed the text in a lot of ways. Like, in this scene, it's really weird for Glenn to be like, yo, if they find you, they'll kill you for being here. Instead of, if they find us, they will come after us for being together because we can't be gay. Hey, Megan, want to know something about all of the words you changed there? They're all single syllable. It wouldn't change. It's like it wouldn't change the lyric quality of Shakespeare at all. That's what drives me crazy about people who are like, I can't change a pronoun. It's like, you can. Yeah, most of them are the same amount of syllables. Like, you'll be fine. Walls equal desks. I or perched this desk. What a difficult maneuver you pulled, Romeo. That's the only one for now. I just want to say good job to Glenn for doing a very good O in O Gentle Romeo and not just saying O and instead going, oh, and doing like a little sigh thing. And good. I like it. Good job. Once again, great actor. That's all I'm ever going to say about you. Also, if they could stop spinning because they're in love, that would be great because I get a little motion sick, but they spin a lot. I would also like to state that a couple of the lines in this scene suffer from what I like to call in love voice, Mm. where you just go like this. But it's so you. It's you. It's always been you. And you just have to go into a slight whisper tone and tilt every other word. And that's how you know it's love. But they brought it back because when they got to the like, take it back, oh, the kiss, oh my God, scene, they got cute again. Yeah. They got more realistic again. They they broke out of that and gave a really good reading. Yeah. And I'll... it was real nice. No, again, these scenes are good. I'm just a little complainy boy. No, that's fair. And I'm glad that they switched it up because I also would find the scene really monotonous if they didn't. Yeah. But They brought it back. And I just have three more words to say about this scene, Marquez. Okay. If I could use three words the way that Shakespeare uses three words, then I would instead use 50 words to say the thing that I would like to say when I said three words. But this is just it. So, Megan, you're saying that... And also, I would say some more. Because three words is really a lie, and Shakespeare just is very forgetful, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're making fun of the line that Juliet says where she says three words and then goodnight, and then just continues to just say a whole bunch of stuff. She says 50 words, and then another 20, and that's not a problem with Private Romeo. They just kept in the line, and I will point it out when I see it. Because Every time. it's wild and incorrect. And then we cut to a Busted Heart music video. Why? We got Mercutio. No, I, <laughs> And stop. he's rocking out. Why? On a handheld camera. This is where I'm fully lost. The movie lost me. Why is this here? Wait, let me see if uh, my little interview can explain uh, these things. Making and posting these lip sync music videos is hugely popular all across the globe. And I wanted to keep reminding our audience that these cadets, these characters, are youngsters. If Romeo and Juliet were alive today, I'm sure they'd be making YouTube videos about their tragic romance. 
By the way, these videos are also enormously popular with soldiers. They make them and post them from Iraq and Afghanistan and from military bases everywhere. So the point is, they're young. No, the point is, well, this is a popular thing, so I wanted to use it. It's not very good, Megan. I have problems with that. So then Mercutio and a bunch of the boys grab Glenn out of bed, strip him down, and tie him to a chair with tape. And Ken Lee, who is the prince character, finds Glenn and then goes, Mercutio, you gotta run laps. What about the other guys? Again, much like those videos, Megan, the interview states that... Why is it there? Because it is. The director basically wanted to show that they're just dudes being guys. Just guys being bros. And then that's what is typical behavior of college and military life is putting on pranks. Does it have to have context, Megan? No, it's just happened. So we'll be done from some useless things. We go to Friar Lawrence's cell, the chem lab, basically. Yes. Once again, Romeo and Juliet, Sam and Glenn are referenced as being enemies. And we have another vocabulary lesson. Capulet. Like, she's a Capulet. Instead, chap. She's a chap! She's a Capulet. She's a chap. She's That's the only, like, male equivalent I could find that starts with C. I dig this Friar Lawrence. <laughs> I played Friar Lawrence. And I kind of love this interpretation of just this kind of shady dude in a chem lab. But what I really enjoy is his reading of one of my favorite lines in Shakespeare, which is, Holy Saint Francis, which usually is more exasperated. Like, oh my god, dude. But here, holy Saint, Saint Francis. Francis. Yeah, you dog. It is definitely interpreted as like a, yeah, bro, like you got it. Which I like. I mean, it doesn't really make any sense, but Friar Lawrence is like, yeah, just dudes being guys, people being gay. Also, according to him, it appears that he's going to help them because their love will solve the army's issues of homophobia. Yeah, how's this going to turn household's rancor to pure love? The army won't be homophobic if, if these, these two, two kiss. Yep. And by kiss, I mean, you know. No. The next scene, we're at the gym, and it's Mercutio and Benvolio, and they're kind of down from their high, but they're working out, and I kind of love Mercutio says, where's Romeo? And he says it multiple times. They don't add any other of the lines in the scene until Romeo shows up. And I kind of love that. It's like, these two guys don't have anything to talk about if Romeo is not there. And I just like that because that is straight up straight dude shit of just like, we don't have anything to talk about. So we're just going to sit here and do nothing. (laughs) And when Romeo does show up, Instead of attacking him for running off after they discovered that he's kissing a boy, we have a little bit of a change in line context. Now Mercutio is basically saying, like, I see the true Romeo standing before me, which is my interpretation of Mercutio saying, I love that you are yourself now fully and I accept your sexuality. At the same time, the like to bow in the hams, meaning to curtsy back and forth. It's kind of different when you're talking about not just a guy who 
is in love with someone and is therefore maybe more effeminate. It's a gay guy. Yeah. Who you're then being like, so you're going to do this effeminate thing, huh? Yeah. And I mean, straight people aren't always great. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> it's very accurate. I'm just saying it just hits different. And then Omar, nurse, shows up. And everyone's like, look at her, this lady. For a while, my brain was going, well, since Glenn's gay, you were calling him she. But, but Omar's then, not gay. <laughs> it is pointed when the film wants, wants it, it to, to be. be. And then otherwise, it's just there. Yeah, doesn't work for me. And then Mercutio and Benvolio leave. And the nurse, <laughs> Omar and Sam, do like four weight lifts. Just like four bicep curls and then put the weights down and are like, okay, so actually talking. And I just want to see that in a traditional production. So I loved Friar Lawrence. I love Omar the nurse because the way that this character is approaching Romeo is a straight ally protecting their gay friend from this straight acting boy who they're not sure is legit. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are unsure of their sexualities who sleep with a guy and then just go, I'm not gay, though. And I really dig the interpretation of this nurse basically being like, don't hurt my friend. Are your intentions true? Do you actually like him or are you playing games? And I'm like, hell yes, a good ally. Honestly, Stealth favorite character, Omar. Amazing. And then Ken Lee, who's the prince again, comes in and is like, I hate you guys for reasons. Do push-ups. And Omar's like, well, actually, I have to leave. And he's like, do even more push-ups and some laughs. Fuck you. For reasons? I think it's just because he doesn't want Romeo to be gay. Why punish Omar then? Because he's kind of the butt of the joke i mean because the nurse is the butt and so omar is kind of like that funny friend you have who's not serious and you know a slacker kind of so like in a military academy they would automatically target them as somebody to make fun of just like in the classroom like i said with the nurse being the prose character i'm reading far too into it again so i go into the next scene going i don't understand why omar's in trouble and then I realized the next scene is 2-5, where the nurse comes in and is like, oh, I'm so tired. Don't ask me any questions. Never mind. I'm in. I, I will say, the scene starts out with us looking at Matt Doyle's shirtless body, and it's a very male gazy, female gazy, gay gazy, male gazy scene. And I'm like, hey, this is supposed to be a teenager, an underage individual. And don't tell me this shot is not meant to be sexual in any way because it is i think that's an issue with a lot of romeo and juliet's well it's also an issue with just like a lot of like teen things like if you think of something like riverdale where it's like wow i'm a sophomore have sex with me five times in front of my teacher it's all bad and i think this is kind of buying into that too watch it and tell me it's not meant to showcase the attractiveness of this boy It is. And guess what? I don't like it. Stop doing it. But the nurse does come in. It's so tired. I just had to do so many laps and push-ups and bitch. I'll tell you what Sam said in a second. And I love this because the only reason we get for the nurse in the play being tired is that she's old. Every production I've seen of it, because it's never been an old woman playing it, because I've only ever seen like community productions. It's always just like, 
I feel like being a bit of a bitch, making you wait. But this I fully think. I love this. So far, my favorite scene. Yep. Because you made something make sense, and I love when a movie does that. I will say the line, where is your mother, makes no sense. No, because where's anyone's mom? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Just get rid of that line. You put that, this is the best scene, Megan? Yeah. Is that what you think? Yeah. I kind of have to agree with you. I think it is. It's got my two favorite characters in it, playing off of each other. They've given a reason for the nurse to be tired. And there's only one big line mishap, which is the where is your mother, that makes me go, why? While most scenes have like seven. Glenn finds out that they're getting married. Quote unquote. So Glenn goes and marriage, another vocabulary lesson, equals sex. Well, Megan, technically marriage equals here's a room for you to fuck in. As we find out from the one line in this moment, which is just incorporate two in one. I mean, I do appreciate that Friar Lawrence is like, sure, use my chem lab to fuck. Fuck here, my friend. Marquez? Yes. We all know what scene is next. We all know what happens in Act 3, Scene 1. A duel in the streets. Or, should I say, basketball in a gymnasium. In the paint. A duel in the paint. Once again, basketball will lead to the death of men. So, Megan, we had Prince of Wags. Yes, where a basketball led us to kill Joe. And now we have Private Romeo. Shakespeare and basketball is a weird reoccurring thing. So the boys, Romeo, Mercutio, Benvolio, goofing around, playing with the basketball. Uh Uh-oh. Here comes Moreno, who's in charge and also Tybalt for whatever reason. Uh Uh-oh, guys, let's retire. We shall not escape a basketball match. Here, all eyes gaze on us in this empty gym. Yeah, the gym's empty, and they're like, everyone's watching us because we're in the The wide open gym where only eight people are even on campus and no one else is here. I, once again, will state, you shouldn't have your Tybalt in charge of everyone. Yeah. I mean, I guess that could be the point of this because he's a volatile character and yes. homophobia and etc. He will dry beat in basketball the rest of the eight. That's about it. That's about all the basketball lines I can fit into this scene. Oh, well, we should say Moreno kicks Mercutio's ass. I mean, here's the thing. They grab basketballs like they're going to play basketball And then they just beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. Not even using the basketballs. Well, my thing is, is that Mercutio tells Romeo, I was hurt. Under your arm. No, you weren't. You guys were like punching each other. Yeah, that wasn't what happened. Like, it's not even a metaphor anymore. It just wasn't what happened. Cut the line. I do, once again, feel like another line. This time, WDF made me effeminate. That hits different. I like that. That hits different in a gay one. Yep, I like like that. And I will say, so obviously they're just beating each other up. Like they're not dead. Yeah. And I know the lines are going to continue saying he's slain. He's dead. Oh God. All of his guts are pouring out onto the gymnasium floor. But when Sam hits Moreno, who's in charge of him, I'm like, that would get you expelled. Yes. Like fighting probably would anyway, but fighting your superior, you're fucking out, buddy. You're dead to them. 
So that's where my brain was thinking this was going. I was going, oh, they're dead. They're expelled. They're dead to the Academy. Spoiler alert, that's not even the case. Well, Megan, spoiler alert, we don't see Tybalt for many scenes after this, and they keep saying he's dead, and I just kept going, wait, no, is he actually (laughs) dead? Because they don't show him. They call an ambulance for him and not for Mercutio. Even though it looks it looks like Moreno's arm maybe got broken, maybe dislocated. Mercutio got punched in the face and the body. Ribs. Yeah, he got three bruises. Very bad bruises. Yeah. I want to say that I really love the Mercutio slain, he's slain, as we literally see him in the background moving. Ouch, I'm in pain. They also keep the line, a plague on both your houses. What houses? I told you, men and chaps. There are no houses. Cut the line. It doesn't work here. I can't cut that line. That's blasphemy. I have to keep every line that I feel like keeping. These lines are famous, yes, but they don't make any sense in your context. We've already talked about just change the text. Here's the other option. Keep just the text that you need. Cut out everything. You don't need to have every character say everything. Just keep the text that you need and you cut the rest. It will still work, I assure you. It's okay, Marquez. We're cutting back to our two favorite characters, Omar and Glenn. I appreciate that when Omar enters the scene doing the whole he's dead, he's dead thing, usually in productions of Romeo and Juliet, It's actual, like, hysterics wailing, he's dead. Tybalt's dead, he's deceased, gone from this world. And in this, Omar comes in, and it's very much, at least in my viewing, I definitely heard it as like, oh, he's dead. He's dead. He's fucking, (laughs) he's out. He's in trouble. Mom's gonna kill him. So they keep a lot of the lines the same, as we all know. It makes no sense that Juliet would be in any way conflicted about whose side she's on. What? Moreno, who obviously hates me and has never spoken to me, but I love him as a cousin. Again, the whole thing is that the conflict is familial. Because the thing is, when someone's your family, even if they're a little shit, it's very hard to separate yourself. You can give them excuses and... For a lot of people, no matter what, you always feel that love for them, even if they're a little shit. And even though we don't get any context for Juliet and Tybalt's relationship in the original text, it's still important to her. Family obviously means a lot to these families. So in the text, they're obviously close-knit families. They're carrying on this feud that we don't even know what the start of it was. But in this, Moreno's just a dude. If a dude treats you like shit, it's a lot easier to cut them out of your life and be like, yeah, we're not friends. But Juliet does ask the nurse to go and give Romeo her ring. My most important ring, my symbol of love, my Livestrong bracelet. Livestrong bracelets were pretty big in the late aughts, early 2010s. This dates this so much, but like in a way that is endearing. Oh, I love it. I love that the ring is a Livestrong bracelet. My precious ring. I live strong. So the nurse does so, gives the ring, gives the Livestrong bracelet to Sam. And all I can think 
while they're both gushing over this ring is, man, <laughs> Glenn and Sam are going to be real disappointed when they find out about Lance Armstrong's drug use. So in the next scene, we have the Romeo and Juliet waking up with each other after they spend the night. Romeo's wearing the Livestrong bracelet. That's how you know it's real. I know I wear my significant other's Livestrong bracelet all the time. But Romeo has to book it, obviously, because he's exiled. And oh no, here comes Glenn's mother, Benvolio. Huh? Once again. What? Double casting, very weird. Why did you make your two friends the two parents of the dude you can't date? You know, Gus Benvolio, Gus Volio comes in. Yes. And he says, hey, Juliet, it's been decided your dad is marrying you off to another guy. Your dad, Mercutio, is marrying you off to Paris. Because I didn't know that it was Mercutio. I had thought that we were just bringing in parents into this. Like real which, dads. Which makes sense. Yeah. Of just like. The uh, school called the school, because of the fight. Yeah. Of everything going on. They called your parents. Your dad is coming and taking you out of school. And he wants you to date this person. Or to move to Paris. Yes. And you know that made sense to me. And then Mercutio walks in. I'm your father. You gotta marry Paris. Paris is a man. That's a man's name, director. Do you know that? Well, Paris Paris Hilton. Yes, but like in the context. No, no. In the play, Paris is a man. So do you want to get Juliet with a girl? I don't know. Also, why do you? You're Romeo's friend. Megan, we should go to our old pal. Interview. Interview. Tell me. Clear this up for me, please, interview. The interviewer asks, what happened to Paris? A direct question. (laughs) The director responds, I thought of Paris as more of a concept than an actual character in our version. He is the idea of heterosexuality. He is the threat. I didn't think I needed him in the flesh. I think you're wrong. (laughs) By removing Paris as a palpable stake. Why is Juliet running off to Friar Lawrence to get poison? By having it just be this amorphous thing, I don't know what's going to happen with Juliet. I don't know what they are threatening Glenn with. And once again, because of the decision to not change pronouns, names, etc., it sounds, again, I'm going to say, like Mercutio Dad is saying, you can't marry Romeo, you gotta marry this other dude and be gay with him. Yeah, that's that's an interpretation. But no, it's But that's not what it is. No, it's an amorphous threat. So in the play, Paris is actually society, her family, forcing her to go through with something. And that is what you have to do. You have to follow your father's wishes to marry this person because that's just what you did. So that gives Juliet a palpable, powerful choice that she gets to make to enact this plan with Friar Lawrence. Without that specific thing, she has no reason to go to Friar Lawrence. So obviously, from this point forward, we're just going through the motions of the play. Would you say it's chopped logic? I'm gonna say that little bit of lines, the how, 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 how
best acting of this Mercutio. It's great. So good. I was surprised. I feel bad because I know a lot of people like this Mercutio and I see moments that I really like, but it's mostly just because of the double casting that I get really messed up about this character. I also just personally don't like Mercutio as a character. I feel like this actor's better at playing Lord Capulet. His Lord Capulet shit's great. I don't know. That's just me. He's just got this palpable threat. It's the first time we see a palpable threat. Something He's that, intimidating. Which is something that Tybalt never really is, which I hate because I'm like, no, this actor, he's got that like menacing father energy for the most part. He kind of falters at your favorite moment My in this scene. My fingers itch. My fingers itch. I, I want to hit, hit you. you. We cut to Prince Ken, who's on the phone with one of the officers who's away. And that officer does not sound happy. We do find out that Tybalt is not dead. We had several scenes where Tybalt wasn't there. And it's like, oh, no, it just broke his arm. So after he's off the phone, Ken goes over to his boombox, which he used earlier in the movie to play Reve, takes out and he just kind of breaks it. Because society's breaking down. How dare anyone be gay and the officers find out about it? Well, they don't even know that they he's don't gay. even know about the gay. They're just upset because people fought. Yeah, the gay means nothing. Let's move on. So this is the point where Juliet goes to Friar Lawrence to get the poison so that he doesn't have to be straight. Mercutio doesn't threaten him. With violence, like, if you are gay, I'm going to beat you up so you're going to be straight. He just kind of says, I'm going to make you straight. How? Juliet Glenn takes the poison, puts it in his little canteen, and then he... A uh, big canteen of poison. A big canteen of poison. And then he goes to the lecture hall and does the whole Juliet monologue. Why would you do this in the main lecture hall? I don't know, Megan. I couldn't tell you. Because there's no, like appropriate place to do why don't you just do it in your room exactly like juliet does yeah i don't know i mean lectures can feel like death so like i get it also ever since buffy episode hush when buffy lays down on the lecturer desk and then riley goes to make out with her like i get it but i don't think that's what they were going for anyway as glenn takes the poison he sees like images of him and Romeo, Sam kissing, and that's nice. I like that. Yeah, it gets a little choppy in the editing, which I appreciate. It's a good way to filmically show that the poison is taking its effect on Glenn. It works. I like it. You know what I don't like, though? Another music video, this time with no passion or energy. and just... Oh, because things are sad now, Megan. So we just stare at the camera and sing the words kind of tired. We've discussed this. These are bad. I don't like them. While that's happening, though, at least we've got cutaway scenes of Ken looking for Sam because Sam is banished. And then there's like a moment between Mercutio and Tybalt in the bathroom where they're like, sup, like we're okay now. Yeah, why? Why are they okay now? I don't know. What is that supposed to mean? Is it because Mercutio is now Lord Capulet? And so they're both just like, 
We hate gay people. Megan, nobody does anything. Nobody, like, fixes things, and yet things are getting fixed. Well, there was no problem to begin with, Marquez. That's fair. Oh, they do succinctly uh, cut down Act 4, Scene 5 to Omar saying, My lady is dead after discovering Glenn. She's running. Help! My lady is dead. End of scene. Whole scene. Done. So, of course, Sam sneaks into the tomb lecture hall. Is like, oh no, you're so dead. Except the actor is really frantic in motions, but once again has that kind of monotonous, calm, almost lover voice that we talked about before, where it's just like, you are dead. Wow, my life is ruined. Yeah, you should probably uh, be a little bit more uh, frantic at finding your dead lover. And he takes up the canteen, chugs the rest of it, I freak out for a second going, that's not real poison. You're not going to die. Wait, no one's going to die. You what the hell? You didn't go to the apothecary. And no one died. They go to sleep for a little bit. And then people come in and are like, what's going on with flashlights? And they both wake up in each other's arms. So the whole point of the poison bit is to trick them into letting them run off together. Yeah. That's the whole point of the poison thing. Yeah. But that is cut entirely. So there's no point of the poison. No. So here's what happens. Omar goes into a lecture hall looking for Glenn. Sees Glenn taking a nap. Goes, oh no, Glenn's dead. Runs to tell everyone, hey, Glenn's dead. They all follow Omar. Open the door. Shine a flashlight. Glenn and Sam are just napping and they wake up and go, (laughs) hi. And everyone goes, oh, they're not dead. They're gay. End of film. Homophobia solved. We did it, boys! Yay! What is the ending of this film? What is the beginning of this film? Like I said, there's no resolution because there's no real conflict. Nothing is ever stated. It is an artsy, queer, intellectual art film. But really, I don't like that. (laughs) But we're done, right? No. Oh. There's an epilogue. You know what that epilogue is? What? It's more singing, but this time at least, it's Glenn. Yeah. Actually singing it? I mean, he's an accomplished Broadway actor. Yeah. Props to Matt Doyle. So Matt Doyle's just singing You Made Me Love You, or whatever that song is called. And really good singing, but then it keeps going, and he's just standing alone in a room staring at the camera doing nothing. Hey, uh, Matt, baby, you know I love you, right? I got some really good direction for you in this scene. Oh, I can't wait, director, sir. Yes. You've got to stare into this camera. Okay, yeah, and then what? And sing. Yeah, all right. So, like, passionately, intensely. Don't move. Just stand there. Stand. Stare into the camera. Completely still, like zombie. And sing. No emotion. No. Can I, like, pick something up? No. Stand still. Yes, sir. And sing. Yes, sir. That's kind of what it's like. And it's like the the end. Then the credits roll. We did it. Private Romeo. Okay, Megan. I've got something new for you. Yeah. This is going to be, from this point forward, <gasps> yeah? a part of every avant-garde episode. Hell yeah. What is it? We, and I know we probably talked about this a lot in the actual main part of the episode. We are doing most valuable players Ooh, ooh! all right all right all right final answer yes who is glenn 
you are saying Matt Doyle as Glenn Mangan slash Juliet. Yes, I am saying that. Because first actor in the film to make me actually feel something, which honestly kept me watching it. My second choice would be the nurse, but like you can have Romeo and Juliet without the nurse. You cannot have Romeo and Juliet without Juliet. And Juliet slash Matt Doyle slash Glenn did a lot of heavy lifting in this to make it relatable, passionate, caring, etc. So that's my vote. I'm going to give it to all eight of them, just like that award did. No, 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 no. I almost threw something. (laughs) Though I do agree with you about the nurse and Omar. I also liked Friar Lawrence, but I agree with you. I thought you were going to say Friar Lawrence. (laughs) I was like, you gotta leave now. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I think Matt Doyle just is the most important part of this movie. And yeah, of course, Juliet's the best character in Romeo and Juliet and has the most to do. But also that means that you can fuck it up. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. There are a lot of scenes that are really hard. The scene in the lecture hall where Glenn is talking about all of her relatives' bones who are in this lecture hall. Oh, definitely. I believe (laughs) that there are bones in that lecture hall, even though it's clear that they're not. That's a really hard monologue. And Matt pulls it off. Yep. So With I, no props and nothing around to play off of. Matt Doyle gets both of our MVP. Good job, Matt Doyle. I liked you in this film. I've got something I think Shakespeare would say about Private Romeo. Yep. Shakespeare would see this, hold up the play that he wrote and go, they kiss by the book. Because they're so stuck to the yeah, script. Yeah, I get it. They kiss by the book. By the, the book. Yeah. What the book says they do. Yep. Marquez, what would you rate Private Romeo? I would rate Private Romeo four out of the eight actors I really enjoyed. Those being Juliet, Nurse, Friar Lawrence, Mercutio. Not even really Romeo. He was good, but... He's just kind of there. Yeah. No offense. Megan, what would you rate Private Romeo? I would rate it one broken CD out of three words more. All right, I think that's going to just do it for us here on this week's Avant Bard. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod. And if you really liked what you heard, please support the show at patreon.com slash Pod. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.